Hello everyone and welcome to All Blaze No Glory, the podcast. The Christmas edition, Merry Christmas everyone. I hope you all have a happy new year because this will be my last podcast until I come back from my honeymoon trip, which will see me return to Scotland on the 16th of January and probably be a week or so after that before you get another podcast. So hang in there if you're an avid All Blaze No Glory listener. Um, this podcast is brought to you this week by wickedread.com. Um, that is a candle website uh, ran by our very own uh, Leslie, uh, one of my followers and um, a big time rugby lass who knows all knows plenty about rugby. She teaches me things every day on the group chat we have. Um, so check that out. Um, everyone loves a good smelly candle, uh, handy for all different things. Um, get on there and have a look uh, and use your Christmas money for that. Um, so let's talk about um, some takeaways from 2022. Let's talk about the, the future. Let's talk about some of the memories of the podcast um, since, since it started. Uh, so first things first, let's look back on uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow, kind of where they're at with things. Um, both kind of middling in the table. Uh, Glasgow just outside um, at the moment at ninth and Edinburgh at sixth. A little bit disappointing, uh, particularly from Edinburgh. I think Edinburgh have... Um, got a slightly stronger side than Glasgow. They've maybe been a bit unlucky with injuries, particularly in the centres, but um, they need to be consistent and they need to work out what what their game plan is. Edinburgh's problem from watching them, because I've, I've actually a season ticket holder to Edinburgh, is the fact that they make dumb decisions fairly often. Um, they go to the corner when they shouldn't. They kick... They, sort of kick the points but it's always a last resort and it almost feels like it pains to do it and there's a few times where they should have done it like case in point against Castro on Saturday past uh, on the on the 17th of December they had a kickable penalty at the end of half time now it wasn't a gimme but it was a kickable penalty for Buffelli and they chose to go to the corner and it made no sense because if they had kicked and missed the half was probably over because Castro would have just presumably touched the ball down and that would have been the end of the half. If they kicked and got it, they would have been they would have had 17 points going into the sheds. But instead they went for the corner, they gave up a penalty, Castro decided to kick to touch, had a go at them, and they were lucky not to concede a try. So it's kind of dumb decision making like that that's Edinburgh's downfall. Um, looking at these great stats they've got on the uh, on the URC website, it's it's rubbish to try and find a table on this. I cannot find the table on this. Maybe it's a match centre, but the the table. Oh wait a minute, yeah. Why would the table be under match centre URC? Um, but that aside, uh, they've got this lovely stats thing where they give you who's top of attack and all this sort of thing. Now Edinburgh, incidentally, are fourth in attack stats, but they're second in tries scored. So that's pretty good stead. The only team ahead of them is, is Linster. But you'd think that that would mean that they were a lot higher up the table. Well, there's two problems with Edinburgh. One, their defence is ninth, so it's it's the mid, middle, lower middle of the table. And their kicking stats are 14th. And actually, incidentally, their discipline's 14th as well. So they're not doing particularly well in, in that sort of, those sorts of things. Um, Glasgow, on the other hand, Glasgow are ninth. Uh, what are they on attack? Sorry, my bad. Uh, they're seventh in attack, ninth in defence, um, fifteenth in, in kicking, and then they're seventh in in discipline, um, and they've not got a record that's a million miles away from Edinburgh. 
So basically both teams need to pull their socks up, but I think Edinburgh should be the better side and um, eventually win that Italian uh, Italian uh, Scottish Shield. Um, players that I think are doing really well for the club um, and I think that we all should be looking out for. Um, I think, well, first and foremost for Edinburgh, um, I still think uh, Charlie Savala is really improving um, game on game and I think that he's going to eventually um, be someone that we're all talking about. He won't take Finn Russell's job, let's be honest with you. Um, there's no one who should take Finn Russell's job for Scotland, but I think Charlie Savala might be his future understudy. Um, he's just got this something about him. He's got a different game style from uh, from the likes of Hastings and from the likes of Finn Russell. Um, he relies a lot on strength. He's definitely, in my opinion, defensively the strongest uh, 10 that Scotland have available to them if they wanted to pick. Um, a player, and that's not to say that Finn Russell, we saw Finn Russell with a big massive tackle for Rassin the, the other weekend um, but Charlie Savala for Edinburgh, I'm still going to beat the drum for him, I think Charlie Savala is a real prospect and he's getting more and more comfortable playing Union after coming over from League but his natural ability, his natural strength um, makes him a real force to be reckoned with and he's actually got a nice little deft kicking game that I don't think Kinghorn necessarily has um, but he doesn't seem to have the big boot that Kinghorn has um, or that ability to just hit a gap and absolutely nail it every time like Kinghorn has because when Kinghorn finds a gap, he, he's off-ski. Glasgow, on the other hand, I'm not as familiar with Glasgow, but I'm really excited about the prospect of Murphy Walker for Scotland, seeing what I've seen. And I think that that stands Glasgow in good stead if you can keep him fit and then maybe uh, build that with your sort of depth with Fagerson who's still quite young for a tight head prop you've got good tight head depth um, the loose head maybe you've got Batty I think Batty's okay uh, and I think that he's a good a good performer for Scotland when he's played um, he's not going to get a game ahead of Schumann or Sutherland if they're fit though that's the only thing um, just a quick I suppose I'm recording this on the 22nd of December now I imagine most of you have seen the Glasgow Edinburgh game um, so I'm going to you can you can Message me abuse if I'm wrong or otherwise, um, but I'm going to predict that Edinburgh are going to win that game 25 to 19. That's going to be my prediction for the Edinburgh-Glasgow game. I think Edinburgh are just going to edge it um, with the squad they've put out and the packs. Whilst I think Glasgow have got a really strong pack out, I just think the way that Luke Crosby and... and well, it's not Luke Crosby, it's Connor Boyle. I think I just think with Connor Boyle that back there and Jamie Ritchie... Um, I don't see how Glasgow are going to compete in that turnover battle, but stranger things have happened. And Glasgow at home with the Glasgow crowd behind them, one of the best crowds in URC in terms of support for their own team, um, I, I think that there's every chance. Edinburgh are still pretty quiet, even though they're in damn health, compared to compared to being at Scotstown. It's a pretty hostile place for an away um, team. Not in a bad way, not like a sort of, as a fan, you feel unsafe, but just kind of, they're pretty, pretty hostile right behind their team, which is great. I, I really love it, and I love the, the Glasgow fans, um, just not when they're playing Edinburgh, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I think, realistically, where the team should be aiming. Edinburgh should be thinking, we need to get above 500, first and foremost. They're four, they've got four wins and five losses. Um, unfortunately, completely capitulated after a nice start against uh, Munster. What they need to do to get themselves back on track 
is start being consistent in their defence. They switch off um, after tries and it's, it's awful. And it's not something that I enjoy when they score a try. I immediately go into sort of a state of panic um, thinking, are they going to secure the kickoff? Are they going to do something stupid? Um, are we going to get a line-out and Grant Gilchrist is going to jump on top of his opponent, opposing man and get another line-out penalty? Um, and it's going to be kickable, so they're going to get three points back or they're going to kick to the corner and then he'll do it again and we'll end up getting a yellow card and you know we'll have all kinds of problems. So um, Edinburgh need to tighten up on their discipline. They need to tighten up on their kicking game and know when to kick the ball for posts and make right decisions. Glasgow, on the other hand, I'm not quite as certain what they, they need to do, but just based on the fact that the squad rotation um, for the game against Edinburgh does not look like it's a full Buna squad. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but there seems to be a few players missing there. Um, that's a bit of a concern to me, but um, I do predict Edinburgh will narrowly win the Scotsdale game, and I think they'll probably win the 1872 Cup 2-0. And actually, Edinburgh need it because they're behind uh, in the standings in terms of they've played nine games and they've only won four. Um, whereas Glasgow do have a game in hand um, for the postponed game they had. So you can, one can only hope um, from, uh, from a Glasgow point of view um, that they pick up that game um, and that would see them leapfrog Edinburgh as it currently stands. So Edinburgh really need to um, screw the nut and try and get as many points over Christmas and into the new year as they can with Zebri um, visiting on the 7th of January. Anyway, moving on from rugby, because um, this is not just a rugby podcast, as always bang on about, but um, most of my Twitter and stuff I appreciate is quite is quite rugby orientated. Um, and looking to talk about some NFL. So uh, what can we say about the NFL this year? It's been pretty entertaining stuff. There's been some argument that it's not as high a standard as previous seasons I don't know if that's true certainly in terms of entertainment I would say it's been fairly entertaining I can't remember the week off the top of my head but there was a Bills-Vikings game and it was honestly the most exciting end to a game I have ever seen I mean and there were some ridiculous things happening the uh, the Bills tried a quarterback sneak out their own end zone um, just to give their punter some room and uh, Josh Allen fumbled the ball and Philly in Minnesota dived on it. Um, and then it was a touchdown to Minnesota. It was, honestly, it was the most weird game I've ever seen. So if you can go and look that up and you get the chance to check out the, the replays and highlights of that, go and do it. Um, what a topsy-turvy season, though, compared to the season before. I mean, I'm a Rams fan, as some of you know. Um, it's been tough, tough going this year. And... I know um, folk are like, well, you got your Super Bowl win, so you, you can't complain. And that's true, but I think I'm, at times I forget that the Rams won the Super Bowl last year because they are so bad. It, you can imagine, if you imagine Linster sort of getting pumped off of Zebra every week, it's sort of like that level of capitulation. Um, it's... I don't know what it is. They, they obviously they mortgaged their future, uh, the Rams, with you know spending all their draft capital to get veterans, and it eventually worked. Because I tell you what, if that didn't work, and then they were playing like that after a season of even losing the Super Bowl, I honestly think heads would be rolling already, and people would be fired already. I think largely because they won a Super Bowl, the GM Les Snead and the. Uh, the coach, Sean McVeigh have both got themselves a stay of execution this season. 
and will probably, if they both want to, continue being um, the Rams uh, front office and coaching staff uh, into the next season. Um, so I'm sorry to dwell about the Rams because they're really, uh, at this moment, the who's who of who cares. Uh, in terms of other great teams, I mean, the Bills, the aforementioned Bills are absolutely quality uh, despite their loss to Minnesota, um, along with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the AFC is, apart from that, wide open. It's That's what I'm saying. It's total parity. There's there's three games left for these teams, and there is only two teams clinched in the AFC, and uh, that's the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been powerhouses for long enough. The, I think those, are, those two, um, if the draw falls right, that's the AFC Championship game for me. I know people have mentioned other other parties maybe getting involved in that, maybe the Bengals, but I don't think the Bengals have got what it takes to beat the, the Chiefs and the Bills um, this year. Um, but the amazing thing about the AFC is the fact that none of the other teams have clinched yet. I mean, and even the division, who, which is really poor, the AFC South, it, that's exciting because Jacksonville have suddenly went on a little tear. So we'll see. I actually... Kinda, kinda rooting for Jacksonville to get to the playoffs. It'd be quite, pretty cool. Uh, they are, you know, the team that always comes to London. We always see. So even if you're not a fan, it'd be quite cool to see a team that's had a wee playoff run in London as opposed to a sort of team that's just got the next first round draft pick. Um. Anyway, moving on from the AFC, the NFC. There are three teams clinched. Um. The Eagles have clinched a playoff berth, but not the division. In fact, there's four teams clinched, sorry. The Minnesota Vikings have clinched their division, um, so they've got a home playoff game. Um, and they've been sort of a weird revelation this year where they've kind of been the opposite of what they were last year. They had a lot of one-score losses last year. This year, they've got a lot of one-score wins, and it's quite it's quite interesting. Most of their games are exciting, even if they are in a kind of comical way, like that Bills game that was there was, there was bits that were just kind of calamity. Um, it, was, it, was, it was really good stuff. Uh, 49ers, bizarrely the 49ers are just they're just having walking wounded with their quarterback room. Um, but Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, by the way, I drafted him higher than mock drafts, um, has actually uh, played two games and won both games for them. I think that they could actually get to the, the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy as a quarterback. Um but it'll be interesting to see because the Eagles have now come out and said that Jalen Hurts is, is hurt, uh, for want of a better expression, and that he might not be back um, until um, into the playoffs or maybe like sort of in a week or two weeks. Now, if he only misses a week or two and he's back to full health, then fine. I think he'll need a little bit of playing time to get his rhythm back in before he goes into the playoffs. And you've got to hope if it, if it's a shoulder injury, as as has been suggested, they can still throw the ball as well as run. Because I think you, if all he does is run, then the defenses are going to know that and they're going to play for that. So, um, yeah, I think I hope the Eagles get healthy, uh, and I hope they they have a nice little playoff run. I do, I do quite like the Eagles. Another team though that I want to see in the playoffs, and uh, it's exciting. Um, it's actually a former quarterback of the Rams, is it? The Detroit Lions. I've got a massive soft spot for the Detroit Lions, and it's all because of Dan Campbell. Just the character, the passion he coaches with. Um, he's the type of guy that makes like that you want in sports. That's entertaining, passionate. 
behind his team, but not to that sort of point where there's vitriol and and it's every everybody's fault but his team when he loses. When they lose, he's humble, but passionate about their effort. And when he win, well, he, he's he's still kind of humble, but he's very passionate about these guys. And it's quite clear that his team had come to play for him. And I think that's a massive credit to uh, to Dan Campbell as a coach, uh, how much he's put into the programme and they, they, they love him. And th- they're sitting um, two spots out of the playoffs right now um, with the Washington commanders in their sight. Um, if Washington hadn't tied with New York, then the um, Detroit Lions are perhaps in the play- a playoff spot right now. So, uh, you know... Um, Good. I'm hoping the Detroit Lions do this. Uh, as I say, they're a they're a really fun, interesting team for once because Detroit's normally awful. Um, and it's quite funny we swap quarterbacks and we sort of had the season where Detroit weren't very good last year, but they were kind of okay. And then we've had the Rams a complete demolition job this year, and potentially they've given the New York the Detroit Lions. A draft pick that's going to be higher than, a uh, uh, higher than the the uh, the finishing spot. But anyway, um, that's the in NFL. Um, a quick look at the NHL. Um, which I've been briefly following this year, and I just want to talk about one guy in the NHL that's really impressed me and made me want to kind of keep an eye on it a bit more than I used to. I kind of fell out of love with the NHL. Like it's just a time and night. It's on. It's not like the NFL where you have, you know, at least one six o'clock game and one nine o'clock game every week. It's um, it's really late, you know, most of the time. Um, but I want to talk about Buffalo. That's my team, uh, the Sabers, and talk about Tage Thompson. Um, Tage Thompson, one incidentally, one of the first Sabers games I managed to catch live this year on the telly. Uh, had a five goal night. Um, it's one of the uh, highest. Um, points outputs by one player of all time. It's not the highest. There's there's been a few players more than that, but certainly it's one of the highest that I remember in a long time as well. Uh, so that's exciting because Buffalo. Um, for those of you who don't know like the NHL very well, um, Buffalo are sort of the sec. It's probably like sort of in terms of hockey, their town is about as much about hockey as, as anywhere anywhere else in America and it's close to Canadian levels of support for that team. So I think it would be good for the town of Buffalo and good for the sport if Buffalo get get right. Um, and I hope they do. And the exciting news for me, though, is that I'm actually going to see the Edmonton Oilers. They're actually not kicking the, the backside out of the playoff spots at the moment, even though they've not had the best of starts. Um in fact, they're second in the wild card race, uh, which means that they're currently in the playoffs if the playoffs were to start today. Um, but basically, I want to go see Connor McDavid and uh, Drysaitel, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to see that on Hogmanay. So I will do a little bit sort of maybe uh, posting stories and stuff like that on Instagram or um, a little bit of uh, tweeting about some of the photos and some of the experiences of, of that particular game because <laughs> being in Canada, Hogmanay, for an ice hockey game, I can't think of anything more Canadian, um, and I'm really looking forward to because Canadians do hockey right, you know. Anyway, um, let's move on from sort of just talking generically about sports for a wee while. Look back at some of the podcasts I've done this year. 
Um, I've really enjoyed having guests on, and I hope I get more guests on in the future. I'm, I'm trying to line them up. Um, I reached out to Progressive Rugby. They've now reached out to me. So uh, when I'm back from my honeymoon, I do hope to speak to them. Um, that uh, Me reaching out to them um, earlier in the season, it just didn't work out with timing. Uh, and they um, have reached back out to me following the My Concussion Story podcast. And actually, that's one of the podcasts I'm very proud of. I'm proud that um, I got to tell a story about it, being honest and open about what I experienced. Um, but I would say that that podcast doesn't happen without the Cold Water Dips podcast with John McMillan. Uh, and if you've not checked that out, even if you're not, a, like, if you're here for just for a rugby podcast, you're here just for a, NFL podcast or whatever. I mean, probably not here for just an NFL podcast because the NFL content's not amazing. But go back and listen to that podcast, um, the Cold Water Dips one. I think it's incredibly open uh, and incredibly personal um, at a level that makes listening to it feel like you're part of a discussion about something bigger than yourself. And uh, I have to say, it's the podcast I'm... Mm most proud of probably in all the time I've done podcasts because I obviously have my BIHA podcast as well. It's one of the ones I'm most proud of. Uh, I really thank John for, for what for coming on. And he got me to go and do my cold water dip and I did enjoy it. Um, unfortunately, circumstances meant I've not managed to go back to Edinburgh Blues Balls for a wee while. And to be honest, in the last couple of weeks I've been a little bit nervous about doing it, not just because of the, the how cold it is here, but also just knowing that I'm going on my honeymoon on Christmas Day, I'm a little bit worried to catch a chill or something and then ruin, ruin the honeymoon for, for the wife. So yeah, I'm, I'm dead proud of, of that podcast um, in particular. And what I have noticed is that it's become a bigger thing, the uh, the cold water sort of therapy, um, if you want to call it that. i um, seen uh, Greg Kinnear, the former um, still game actor, um, is doing um, a dip for charity uh, and you, you see people just going out and doing it with their pals you know it's not it doesn't have to necessarily be with a group like Edinburgh Blue Balls or whatever um, and that's that's amazing to me um, how many people enjoy this and how many people are benefiting from it it's it's incredible so I would say go and listen to it and then have a think if that's something that's for you um, in terms of other things that I want to talk about in the pods moving forward, and one of the things I'm really super keen to try and get someone from is uh, Tech Ball. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tech Ball is a sport I discovered late night on Eurosport. Um, and uh, it's a hybrid between table tennis, volleyball, and football. It does show, and funnily, one of my friends um, from high school he uh, that I still know on Facebook had posted after the World Cup final that. The World Cup final showed why football is the best sport in the world because it's you know it's so accessible and um, you know you can it's just it produces amazing moments. Now I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't really watch much of the World Cup this year. I, I kind of wasn't interested in it. Largely, the Qatar thing made me not want to watch it very much. Um, I just just didn't really have time for it. Um, normally, it's in the summer, so. In a summer where there is less sports that you normally watch week to week, 
it's quite a good distraction, but in the November, December time, it's just rubbish, isn't it? Um, yeah, so he put that football's one of the, the best sports in the world, and I don't, football's not my favourite sport, um, that's that's to be said, but one of the things I, I do like about it, and he was absolutely right, is just how accessible, or how easy it is to get a game of football, and how many different adaptions you can make to a game of football to to play to the numbers of people that might be available to play football. I mean, and this is what I think is great about tech ball because tech ball kind of reminds us of that because in a way, if you're a football fan, um, a lot of, a lot of footballers, they practice keepy-uppies and that to get used to controlling the ball. And tech balls are kind of, you need that ability to do, to do keepy-uppies, but you also need the ability to have incredible hips that can fold in all different ways to get power in the ball, ball kicking it down into a table. Um, and I think, you know, it just all sums up to say that football is king because of its accessibility. It's a sport that you can do with two or three people um, and you can play heads and volleys or whatever variation you want to play. Um, it's very easy to, to simplify, whereas other sports, and include rugby, ice hockey, NFL... They're complicated sports and they're difficult to get into. And that's why football is uh, number one in the world. Uh, jumpers for roll host and you can still play a game with your pals. Um, and that's what's beautiful about it. And, and in many ways, um, I think that's why I kind of enjoy going down to the local non-league teams and watching them play. Um, just the passion these guys have for football. It's very simple. It's not as skillful maybe as the team. It's not as skillful as the t- players you see in the World Cup. we playing they'd be paid mega bucks um, but that's what's beautiful about football so um, I hope you continue to enjoy football and if you're looking for something to do take the kids to go down and see one of your local clubs um, before I sort of wrap up um, a couple of there's two or three things I still want to touch on um, I want to talk about this Benetton thing um, and a player being given a banana um, a black rugby player being given a banana and in a bag for their secret Santa and then other players in the team sort of laughing. I know, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm some kind of saint, I know that sort of racial banter um, happens, and it has happened in the past with people, and some people, the minority person, buy into it, or sometimes they're the ones who initiate that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and that, sort of, that sort of thing. But this really upset me, um, the banana thing, because it's like, it's a well-known slur. It's a well-known thing that some calling a black person a monkey is, it's just not on. And to send, to give them a banana um, and it's your own teammate and then all think that's really funny, I'm sorry, but it's not on. It's, you know, to differentiate between that and, and what the fans have done to players and, and terrorised them, that's, it's awful. Um, it, it's not... It's not a good thing, and I, I, it's really made me sad. And Benetton's PR um, in response to this has been almost SRU like, um, and uh, it's really not on. They should have condemned the player immediately, and I would think long and hard before I bring a player back that would do something like that. To I mean, that's humiliating a player. You know, that's not a little bit of back and forth where you're speaking to each other and. You know, and that sort of thing. Um, it's not banter because you're doing it from behind the veil of a secret Santa, 
um, thing where he doesn't know who sent him that. It could be any one or number of his teammates. Absolutely shocking. And I don't know why you do that to your teammate. I don't know why you do it to anyone, but to do it to someone who you've got you play beside in during the week, someone who looks after you, you know, when you're on the park or whatever, it's ridiculous because sport is sort of a it's a family thing when you're playing team sports after a while. You you build memories with people you don't even realise you had. Um so don't uh I, I don't. I just don't understand it. And um, the sooner that world rugby and stuff has a policy, for they need a uniform policy across clubs and how clubs can deal with these sorts of things, or at least give clubs guidelines as to how to deal with these sorts of things and how to stamp it out. And um, we're going to keep losing players from rugby. We can't think that sort of there'll be a little bit of the sort of uh, watercress sandwich club who'll think that that's okay and it's just tongue in cheek and it's just fun. But it's that's that's not the type of thing that's just fun because you're doing it so um, discreetly and secretly and underhandedly that it's it's clearly a dig because that's how you really feel inside. So yeah, I I don't understand it. And World Rugby needs to step in here and say, look, we're going to have some kind of policy to help teams that are struggling like this. That's the other point I would make in terms of. Today I saw things saying that the referees were going to form under one world umbrella. That should have always happened <laughs> for international referees. It's absolutely ludicrous that it hasn't. Um, we should all be learning from each other, singing off the same hymn sheet, and we shouldn't have one week it's Matthew Renal, so the rocks are an absolute free-for-all, and the next week it's JP Doyle, so you can't even try and jackal once. Um, you know, so... These are obvious things uh, that that need dealt with, but I'm sorry, Benetton, I hate to bring it back up, but shame, shame on you guys for allowing that to happen and for being so blasé in your response to it on social media um, and addressing it with the fans. I do concede that my Italian's not, is non-existent, so the translate tweet button might not be direct, but... That's absolute rubbish um, from what I read on Twitter. Go and check it out for yourself and be your own judge of it. Um, but yeah, that doesn't exist in it shouldn't exist in sport, shouldn't exist in society. Um, so see, banter, there's a level of banter and you can work it out with you. The person as you get to know them. If it's a person, you know, you're going to have a discussion about nationalities and a bit of laugh about that, that's fine. But, you know, that's between you and the person and it shouldn't be private and it certainly shouldn't be to humiliate them in front of everybody else who maybe isn't in on your personal um, relationship. Um, it's just absolutely awful. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it can't stand this player should not be back playing. I, I, I don't know how you trust playing with them if you're, if you're um, any of the minority players in that team. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I've been a... Um, sort of stuttery and a bit all over the place in this podcast, I do apologise, but this last topic is is quite tough and in fact I wasn't sure I was going to say anything because um, it's all very soon but I do want to say that my thoughts and, and sincere condolences are with um, the Broadfoot family um, right now um, with a Foresters Rugby Club right now and the players I've played with there and um, the people who look after that club um, Forrester's lost Sean Broadfoot he was only 34 years old 
um, I obviously I, I played for the club. I joined the club when I was twenty nine. Um, I haven't been around as much recently, so I've not grown up with with the players there um, like they have and formed that bond over time from school and stuff. But it it hit me today that I, I associate um, colour blind with Sean because I remember him dancing and singing to it in the changing room uh, after a game and just being a, a total character. Um, I also associate Crash Land um, by Twin Atlantic with them because I remember I'm solo in it. Uh, and it's just quite funny that these bonds we form in sport and, and it's just, I, I found it hard to fathom and I found it really difficult to understand how someone so full of life, who was so welcoming, um, has been taken. And uh, I'm not going to say any more on it, but I just want to let everyone know that, um, you know, look after each other uh and um, be good to each other and have a great Christmas in the year, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast and um, sticking with it. Uh, and um, I'm just going to leave the final whistle out tonight and just say that my condolences and thoughts are with the Broadfoot family and Foresters right now.